Yeah, continuing our conversation. Here I am with Susan Liu, Vietnamese American playwright and performer and author talking. You just mentioned that you are writing a memoir, The Manicurist's Daughter. And this must be kind of an accumulation of so many things that you have already had the process of kind of processing and, and writing about, right, through your play. Um, tell us a little bit about this, but also kind of continue on unpacking what we were talking about and how this address, <laughs> I know I'm all over the place, but addressing how these stories kind of speak to the issues that we're grappling with today. Yeah, I mean, well, earlier we were talking about scale, right? So as an artist, I in the theater, it is so intimate. Right. I feel people breathing and laughing and I can see them cry in front of me. It is wow. so intimate. And I did this 10 city national tour. I was in my second trimester of pregnancy. I needed to get it done before I had my kid. Mm. And I also wanted to make money from it because I'm a full-time artist and this is how I'm going to actually fund myself. So I did that and it was great. And guess what? I'm tired. Mm. It takes a lot of work yeah. to put on a show night after night, do all the marketing and, and, and all the production around it. So I started asking myself as an artist, what's going to be sustainable where I can honor my parent self and my artist self? How do I get to a place where I know that there's some, there is, there is some secret sauce to my show. I see people transforming. I get wonderful notes about people thinking about the show months and years later and what they've, you know, done with that realization or who they've tried to broker new conversations with to get closer to. Like, I know that there is something there by me vulnerably sharing my story, but it is not sustainable for me as an artist. And also like, having an MBA, yeah, I do think about scale. Ah, yeah, that's right. And, and I, I am as I am an entrepreneur, this is my full time business. And so the question is, is, okay, how do I continue sharing this story in a broad way, but that doesn't take away the the vulnerability that works so well. And so I always had a plan. I was like, Okay, I'm gonna do fear, I'm gonna do book, and then I'm gonna do movie or TV. And then maybe one day I'll have a talk show and I'll be like Asian Oprah. You know, like that's that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. And it was so amazing to find a lit agent along the way. She came to my show. We worked worked on a book proposal during the pandemic. And yes, mm -hmm. now I have a book deal with Macmillan. It'll come out in 2023. And what I love about this is that outside of this 65 minute show where I played 15 characters. You now have 250 to 300 pages where I can show you all that. You can come meet and hang out with me in the nail salon. You can see more of the dynamic and complexity of my family characters, and you can go in rich and deep and any time in the world, you can be accessing my content and you don't have to have me right in front of your face. And I, th I was like, this is gonna be scale. This is going to be awesome. And so that's why I am a multi-habitant artist, theater maker, and now author. And now you're a mom too. So how do you juggle that? You know, cause you're gonna be wanting to put a lot of effort into your parenting, obviously. And how does that take away or build into your creative work? Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my son's name is Art. He's 13 okay. months old. Um, yeah. You know, I took him on tour. I took him on tour when I was pregnant with him and we pushed and we went hard together. And so he's a part of my art making. Um, 
and and watching him he's got this beginner's mind you know where everything's so new to him so it's it's always reminding me that he also has this purity of unconditional love and so for me the the trauma and healing cycle about my family's tragedy and the intergenerational trauma that i carry like i've never fully healed it's not one and done you know and and so for for me to receive his love is very beautiful because it it continues to heal the wounds that I that I have and that you know get triggered from different events that you know they seem so innocent but all of a sudden it's like boom landmine and you're like oh I guess I'm not over that yet. So he's this form of inspiration and he allows me to see intergenerational trauma in a new way. Mm. Instead of me just being the daughter, now I am also the mother and the question here is with the next generation what do I not want to pass on? What do I want to pass on? How do I be careful about my language when I'm feeding him? You know, it's it gets onto that level. And also, if I have an in-law or a sibling talking to him in a certain way, how do I change my behavior? Irregardless of the family dynamic that we have, to state what I want for him and and the world that I've designed. But that's like going up against like conflict. Like family conflict is so complicated. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, he is now this new vehicle for me to kind of test how I'm feeling about things. And do I have the courage to broker that conversation yet or not? So that, that's been really exciting. Um, I mean, how is it going to go down? I mean, two years from now, hopefully we will be all in person and, and I'll have my book tour. You know, we are privileged to have daycare. So we pay for daycare and, and that's great. Um, but I want him to see the world and, and be a part of community. And so I'll take him along as well and, and try to have family come with us when, when we can. Um, it's all a negotiation, but at the same time, I think doing a book tour is much different than me being in residence at a theater and having to be on and in control of everything. Whereas with the book tour, it's just, it's like theater light. You know, like it's it's not the same thing. Um, you mentioned um, during the performance that theater is kind of, you mentioned therapy as, as equating to dating. Can you expand on that a little bit? I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, can you, this is your processing, obviously. Yeah, I mean, in my show, I, I have three therapist jokes, okay? Um, and, you know, things good things come in threes. And uh -huh. part of that is my family was like, uh why are you telling us all this like keep it to your therapist or like yeah. we don't need to, to hear this right you know it's like or we're all over and you're not so just kind of like compartmentalize mm. and so for a long time because they didn't want to talk about my mom i talked about my mom to a therapist and i had to date different therapists because um it's a very sensitive process to talk about what you're anxious about and insecure yeah, about. Of course. Um, and if you feel judgment from the other person, whether it's they created that judgment or it's just, you know, subconscious between you and the other person, you need to be wary of that. So I remember at my first therapist, she was a white woman, waspy with pearls. And she was just like the very woman that I secretly always wanted to be. Really? Like, I didn't want to grow up low income. No, I mean, she was just, she just seemed well off, you know, and like really polished. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, wow, I wish I could be you. I know I'm not you. But like, I now I also feel judged by you because I mean, I was going mm. to Harvard. 
And so I was low income, 90, 95% scholarship student. And I was surrounded by extremely wealthy people. Yeah. And so I was always feeling a little insecure about that. And so for my therapist to actually be a mirror image of that, like at first I didn't know you were allowed to switch. And like, I tried a couple of times and I just, I just felt like the more, I just, I felt small during the therapy session. Like I just felt really bad and really small. And um, eventually I found a, a Korean American therapist. She was wonderful, but I felt that I could really feel comfortable and vulnerable. And then, then by me externally, externally processing, I was able to shift what was feeling stuck about things. Mm. She was able to be a mirror for me so that I could just see it in a different way. Like, Oh, I'm doing that thing again. Um, and this you know, is where I, representation matters, even in a sense of your outlet. And, you know, we we're talking about representation in industry, like media, right? You know, like we need to kind of get past the gatekeepers to have more people who make decisions in the creative side. But you're talking about like just something very specific in terms of therapy, but, it's, but it, it applies the idea of having somebody that you feel you can relate to or feel comfortable with. Right, right. So yeah, I mean, so then I've had two more Asian therapists um, since then. And, but the thing is, is they're very high in demand. There's not many of them of BIPOC therapists. They're in high demand. Um, but, but, but that's just it, which is if there is something that you really want to go do, go do, and, and it's outside of the traditional uh, types of jobs like doctor, lawyer, engineer, which are stable income, which is what our family and parents wanted and sacrificed so much for. So I acknowledge the importance of that. When you go follow and pursue non-traditional paths, what you are also doing is showing other people what they could also be too, or maybe they will gravitate towards you because you feel you fill something for them. Yeah. And so when I started with all of this, all the, the performance, remember, I was just trying to prove I wasn't a coward. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to get it out of my system. But then what I ended up doing was actually projecting and putting on stage Vietnamese American stories that had not yet been really talked about. You know, we, we're starting to see a rise in different forms of media and that's great. But you, if, if you have this calling to go do the thing, go do the thing because everyone's always watching and we're always creating our reality of what we can see. So if we cannot see it because it is not represented, then that it reinforces this reality of, oh, we're not like, Asian Americans are not holistic, 100% human, multifaceted human beings. Hmm. Can I ask you something that's a little like, kind of like off, off topic, like <laughs> a little curveball. So you're married to a Korean guy, right? Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Have you dated other races in your life? And can you share a little bit about whether that impacted, like did, did race play a a part in any kind of form of relationship issues with your family or with yourself. Um, yeah, talk about that yeah. a little bit. 100%, uh, 100%. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I grew up dating, I, I would say I tasted the rainbow, you know, like <laughs> okay. I, I've dated white guys and Latinos and black men. And um, it wasn't actually until later on in life that I dated Asian men. Me too. No, I actually I'm the opposite. I dated Asian men all my life, and then I ended up with a, a Jewish guy. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 
like what causes that right yeah. and, and it wasn't near the end until my 20s and 30s that i started dating asian men mm -hmm. and and i think there's two reasons here i think the first one is um because i am not a traditional asian daughter what i'm not i'm not so dutiful that i will always comply right i will i will disagree with my parents and they didn't like that like i i did what i wanted i'm an independent thinker um i'm kind of a tomboy and i'm not super thin and petite you know like i i just girl are you non-binary or are you not Oh, no, no, I'm not non-binary. Okay, I'm just asking, sorry. I'm just yeah, like throwing so, it all out there, trying to be um, inclusive. I guess what I'm trying to say is I just, I didn't fit the the ideal the yeah. Asian woman. The and, minority. And, right, and, and so I, because I felt so rejected from like, you know, my father was very disappointed in how I would behave, um, and then when I got to college, I felt like there was, I called them the Hello Kitty Asians. Oh yeah, I know those. They're just fashionable and thin and cute and yeah. soft-spoken, soft-spoken. And it was just like all these things that I just felt like, even if I pretended to be them, I wasn't gonna be them slash I didn't wanna be them. But I, I saw them with a, like Asian girls and Asian boys together and they, they felt like there was this form of harmony and I just felt like I was just such a black sheep. Mm. So I, I already felt rejected on that level. And then also, I mean, I would say, yeah, there's this form of like internalized racism that I had with myself of like, well, I mean, I mean, this white guy seems cool. Like, was, was I subconsciously thinking that I'm moving up in the caste system somehow? Um, I mean, I, I would say my true answer is like, probably not. Cause I was just like, I wanted to date anybody that would date me. Right. I was like, so desperate for love. I was so desperate for someone to fill that void and to save me. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Like, and, and I think that's just like part of womanhood yeah. and the conditioning that we get there. Yeah. So, but, but I think there was something there where, um, I never felt very attractive or desired. And I think that's my own internalized racism, right? Because Barbie was white. Yeah. You know, and all the movies that were like rated R where there was like a bedroom scene, they're all white women in most contexts, right? Unless, yeah, like- And if they, they're Asian, they're like evil or they're, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, so, so there's that too, where I just never felt accepted or desired by, by the Asian patriarchy, to be honest. Hmm. Um, and, and I feel like my husband who's Korean, like he, he didn't, he didn't grow up in the Asian American experience. He grew up in, he was born in the U S and then grew up in Canada, but also Hong Kong oh. where, you know, out on the outside, he is visibly Asian. He's an Asian dominant space. And so he doesn't, he, he's like, wow, you're going to another Asian American event or you're talking about issues. And I was like, yeah, but like, he doesn't get them. He doesn't have them. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have the hangups, which is so interesting to me. Um, and and so I it's like, it. yeah, because I yeah. I lived in Hong Kong for like twenty five years, and yeah. I yeah I didn't feel that Asian American issue until I moved back here. Right, because then you're now the other, right? Because you're the minority. Yeah. Um. And, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is that 
my journey with who I dated was its own interpersonal journey for me about my own self-worth and enoughness. And then also I think like my husband, like random, he just, he was like, Hey, we're dating. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. You know? So, and he happened to be Korean, but it is, there are some helpful things because I think when, when I talk about family and family judgment, he gets it on a different level than um, the non-Asian people I dated. So I have, I know before we wrap up, um, I just wanted to mention that I have this theory about this whole model minority myth. You know how it's been kind of um, been very visible and, and it's been in a lot of conversations in light of the recent kind of anti-Asian movement, right? Um, and we're, we're kind of contributing everything to the white supremacist foundation that this country is built on, blah, blah, blah. Yes, but I also think there's something to say about the cultural context that you had mentioned earlier too, is this quietness of Asians. Um, that don't necessarily mean that they don't have anything to say, the mannerisms and the way that goes back to that collective being, you know, that Confucian values of thinking about a larger context and it's not just about me. All those things play into embodying that kind of model minority. And we all, you know, it's easy to just say it's all about um, the, the racial issue of this country, but there's so much more to it. You know, there, there's that burden we carry as Asians um that deeply play into how we perform that's so. right and, and it's so complicated because at the same time it's also a form of respect this this quiet behavior that you see is is actually it comes from a respectful place and, yes. and about harmony um because being loud and antagonistic isn't necessarily seen as cute it's just not but it in american culture right or western they might see it as form as power um, or uh, you're brave or you're competent in some way, but especially if you're a white male. And so I've been thinking about the model minority myth and I'm like, oh, how do we, how do we talk about it in a different way other than, hey, don't project those expectations onto me. And so what I did recently with some girlfriends during the pandemic is I, I created a podcast called Model Minority Moms. I love it. And there are two other Harvard Asian moms my same year. We both, we all have kids and we're talking about, there are so many standards placed upon us. The dutiful daughter, mm -hmm. the BK mom, um, being a badass in your career, hanging out with your girlfriends and going to wine country, having a really fit bod, self-care time. Like, it's just like all of this expectation. Yeah. But when you see us as Asian women in the workplace or at school, you 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 already you've already done the judging. You've already projected what you expect of them. And so what we do in this podcast is we get really raw and unfiltered about these pressures and about and we're trying to just remove the veil on these things to say, hey, guess what? We're we're complex beings. We carry a lot of stress. So you might see us as a certain way, but we face these these double triple standards all the time because in the workplace if we are going to be bold and type a and ambitious about certain things we're labeled yep negatively yep because we're not matching people's expectations capital b correct so i for for me i thought hey if me and my girlfriends can just be raw about our our experiences whether you're an asian american woman or a woman or just you know you're just like well, I guess I should educate myself more about Asian Americanness. Mm -hmm. You listen to the podcast and and find those elements that you identify with. And our goal is for you to feel less alone 
and emboldened to be who you want to be. Yay. But how do we, okay, so, okay, I, I know I got to wrap this up, I know, but how do we, without preaching to the choir, use these platforms to break more boundaries? Like, how do we get people who should be listening to it and opening up their minds about it to be interested, you know? Because I know we want to have a safe space to speak for ourselves and what we want to share and, you know, transfer. But at the same time, we're not going to move forward if we don't get certain people to be understanding what we're talking about. Are you, are you saying how do we educate <laughs> people? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> how are we going to make change? I mean, we can just silo ourselves into understanding each other, but it's not going to move us forward. In I've been I've been very wary of the echo chamber um, because, like with social media, whatever you engage with, the algorithm knows to show you more of it. Yes. And and it's so funny because I'll look at my Instagram feed; it's all Asian American identity stuff, mama stuff, and my husband's is all outdoors. You know, and yeah. and it, it's so different, even though we are both presenting as Asian American in in the U.S. today. Um, and so I'd say, yeah, you got to be wary of it. And it first starts with, if you can see yourself as say a tomato plant, okay, you are a tomato plant and you want lots of great tomatoes this summer. You have to water your tomato plant. But the thing is, is what are you watering it with? Mm. And I tell you, like with my kid, you know, I'll sing these songs, I'll make up songs. And when I'm out not thinking about him, I'm hearing these songs I made up in my brain. Or I'm thinking about this article I last read. So like what I'm trying to say is everything that you're ingesting all the time and inputting, that's your form of water. What are you inputting in? And who are you hanging out with? And who's feeding you information? So if you see that the general makeup of your friend composition is all Asian, okay, that's something to be observant of, right? Because I think we need to cross pollinate with our friends and what we share with on, on our social media and what we engage with. Because if we are in our own echo chamber, that's all we got. Yeah. So I, I think it's especially, you know, with after George Floyd died, people were like, do you only have one black friend? Or you that one black person you know? You know, and it's like, okay, so let's let's think about that. You know, is it because what organizations are you part of? What type of businesses do you partake in? Um, who do you gravitate with to feel comfortable? And I'm not saying like manipulate your life to be something that's not authentic or doesn't feel good to you or you, that you should shit on yourself. What I'm saying is um, the people that you have in your close circles are constantly watering that plant. And so that's what you're putting into your psyche and your subconscious. So what do you want to have? And, and be conscientious and know that you were the designer of your life experience. So you want it to change yeah thank change. you that's a beautiful way to um end this i'm going to leave that question of what are you watering your plant with this is by susan liu vietnamese american playwright performer and author and podcast i'm going to remind everyone what is it Mo model minority moms is that right and that's people right. can just google that and, and find it is there a specific link to it or it's just called model minority moms? We're on all the platforms on apple spotify and google and the images it's pink 
and it's got leaking boobs everywhere. <laughs> I love it. Here's to leaking boobs. <laughs> Thank you so much, Susan. And also, I look forward to um, your book. Good luck with that and all your future projects and your motherhood and expanding and, and increasing your voice on places because everything you say just rings so true and important. Thank you so much for this. And I'll be in Hawaii next year. Yes, yes. And you come into the studio for real and we'll talk again. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so you. much.